Hi, I'm Mike, lead pastor at The Ridge, and this is our weekly podcast. Thank you for joining us. Our desire is for you to grow in relationship with God, connect with others, and to experience God's purpose for life by adding value to the life of another. I hope that this message will build your faith and encourage you as we seek to grow together in God's Word. Enjoy today's message. When you see a sign like this, wet paint, what do you do? Do you tend to, are you more likely to touch this or less likely? I'm more. You know, I look at this and I think, do I really want to spend the rest of my life wondering? Interesting thing, I'm not alone. Studies indicate that wet paint signs actually lead to more touching not less. Lord, lead us not into temptation because we are perfectly capable of finding that all on our own. We're drawn to it. Genesis chapter 39, it begins with this, verse 1. It says, now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. The past couple of chapters, we've discovered Joseph, he grew up with a bunch of brothers. Well, he was clearly daddy's favorite. So his brothers, they're jealous. They sell Joseph off as a slave. Verse 1. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. Well, who's Potiphar? Verse 1 calls him the captain of the guard. That would be Pharaoh's elite bodyguard. In other words, Potiphar, this was a VIP. Verse 2. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered. He prospered. That's an important phrase in Genesis 39. It's actually in here seven times. He prospered. Well, what does that mean? Keep reading. Verse 2 continues, The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. So Joseph was still a slave, which means God's idea of prosperity is a little bit different than mine. He prospered. He's still a slave. One of the things that we see in here, following Jesus isn't some kind of heavenly Ponzi scheme. You know, follow Jesus and he'll make you rich and put rims on your tires. That's not in here. That's not what's going on in here. When, when God says that Joseph prospered, remember the context, Joseph was still a slave. He prospered. Here's what it means, that even in an undesirable situation, God was still with him. And maybe that's you today. Maybe that's God's word for you today. Maybe you're in an undesirable situation and the word of the Lord is, I'm still here. I'm still with you. That will, that's prospering. Verse three. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that God, and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, so God was with Joseph. Whatever he did, he did it well. Potiphar recognized Joseph's success and he rewards him with a promotion. Verse four. Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned from a common slave to the head of the house. But Joseph, he encountered one of these. Verse 6. 
Now Joseph was well built and handsome. After a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. Well, by this time, the Potiphers have been married for over a decade. Potiphar's passion seems to have migrated from his beautiful wife to his prestigious career. Familiar with that dynamic? Mrs. Potiphar didn't get a lot of attention, didn't get a lot of affection. Her emotional needs, they're not being met. So she starts looking for them elsewhere. It's been said that Satan does everything he can to bring two people together sexually before marriage, and he does everything he can to prevent them from doing that after marriage. Which side of that equation are you on? Both are dangerous. Don't get the wrong idea. Sometimes people pull the wrong idea as far as God and His view on sexuality. God, He's not anti-sex. God, He's the one who designed our bodies and our parts and our hormones. You know, if it weren't for hormones, the opposite gender might still have cooties. God, He's the one who designed that. In the context of marriage, it's a good thing. It's a healthy thing. It's an important thing. God puts it this way, Genesis 2.24, a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. God, from the very beginning, designed sex for one man with one woman in a lifelong covenant of marriage. If you're married, don't... Pull a Potiphar, make sure you're putting enough time and energy and attention, emotional and physical, into your marriage. Don't let those voids enter in. Spend time with each other. Invest in each other. Prioritize, protect, and enjoy your marriage. Verse 6. Now Joseph was well-built and handsome, and after a while his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. Sexual purity has been defined this way when no sexual gratification comes from anyone or anything but your spouse. Are you there? Married or unmarried? Studies show that 55% of Christian men are involved in some form of sexually addictive behavior. If that's you, not judging, just question. Is that working? Has that brought you satisfaction? Because God tells us this in the Proverbs. He says that our eyes, they will never be satisfied. It's addictive. It's damaging. It reduces people to objects. It reduces God's gift into a biological drive. I mean, think about it this way. If you have a young daughter, or perhaps once you did have a young daughter, or maybe someday you have the potential of having a young daughter, are you looking forward to the day when a pubescent 16-year-old boy comes to your house to take her on a date? Here's a suggestion that I have for you. Give him a little quiz. And here's the quiz. Say, in 20 words or less, I want you to define these words for me in your understanding. One, curfew. Two, respect. Three, abstinence. And if I like your answers, and if you pass this test, then I'll get back to you in five or six years. (laughs) 
You know, things look different when it's your kid. Understand that that's how God views you. And that's how God views me. He recognizes that sex is the most intimate human connection. And God's plan is for that to function in a lifelong marriage. When we fully commit our lives, that's when we fully commit our bodies. And I know, I live in the same world that you do. I know that our culture claims that sexual gratification outside of marriage is normal, it is common, and is harmless. But understand this, that is not what God teaches in the Bible. This is one of those places where what our culture says is okay and what our culture does and what's common in our culture is in contradiction to what God teaches in the Bible. And so that puts us in a position where we need to decide, what am I going to do with that? Will I base my life on what our culture says is okay? Will I base my life on what my hormones want? Will I base my life on what I feel like? Or will I base my life on my God? Really, the central issue is this. Is God, is he really good? What do you think? Is God's way... Is it really the best, even when it's difficult, even when it's counter-cultural? Who do I trust? That's the issue. Well, here's what happened to Joseph, verse 11. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. He ran. That's a pretty good model. Are you facing temptation today? Joseph cries out, run, flee, get out of there. If it's a website, block it. If it's a social media account, Drop it. If it's a person, you know, come up with some some very strong boundaries and stick to it. I am more than my wants. I am more than my desires. I am more than my cravings. I'm not ruled by my impulses. I am a child of God. I have a choice. I have a say. Holy Spirit, give me strength. Holy Spirit, give me power. Verse 11 and 12. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, Come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. Now, most often when I read this, I think about Joseph resisting this really strong, intense sexual temptation. And that's important, but I'm wondering... Is that really what was going on here in this passage? Because as I think this through, I think there's more. Here's a little background information. Joseph was 17 years old when he got sold into slavery and became a slave in the household of Pharaoh. 17. Based on Potiphar's life stage, Mrs. Potiphar was likely 20 years older, at least, than Joseph. 
and she was also in a position of authority over him. That that changes this scenario a little bit. That means that Genesis 39, it's not so much about sexual temptation, but a little bit more about sexual harassment. Have you ever thought of this passage that way? Well, do. Joseph was her slave. If she wants him to do something, he's obligated to do it. I'm not so sure that this was a back and forth flirtatious game going on in chapter 39. This may very well have been an abuse of power. A person in power using their possession to, their position to create and gain sexual privileges. Well, this happened a long time ago. Does this kind of thing still happen here and now and today? (laughs) Yeah. Right? Some things just haven't changed. If you are in a position of authority, get, get this, it's never okay to do that. Well, never. They may laugh and they may play along, but if they are a subordinate, they're trapped. Don't do that ever. Rather, do what Jesus does with power. Look at, look at Jesus' model for us. Mark 10, 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. Jesus has all this power. What does He do with it? He uses His power to serve and to bless. That's our role. If you're on the other side of this and you've experienced some form of sexual harassment, recognize what's in here. It's in the Bible. And God, he's showing it's wrong. It was wrong back then and it's still wrong today. He knows, he cares, and he doesn't want that for you. He's calling you to follow the lead of Joseph. Don't take it. Don't put up with it. Don't enable the abuse. It's okay to say something. It's okay to get some help and get out of there. Get out of that situation. Well, one more clue that Genesis 39 is a little deeper than first read. After her advances were rejected, Mrs. Potiphar, she makes this claim. Verse 14, he called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. She claimed that Joseph tried to rape her. When Mr. Potiphar got home, she told him this story. Hear the response. Verse 19 When his master heard the story his wife told him, saying, This is how your slave treated me, he burned with anger. Now my assumption, when I've read this passage, it had always been, well, Mr. Potiphar was angry at Joseph. Is that so? Could be. But this passage is actually quite ambiguous. Technically, it doesn't say who Mr. Potiphar is angry at. Could be Joseph, but it also could be Mrs. Potiphar. It could be that he knew her better than that. It could be that he didn't buy her story and that he knew that his saving face for her meant losing the very best servant he ever had. What is it that made Potiphar mad. The Bible doesn't specifically say. But check out this next verse. Verse 20. 
Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. If one of Potiphar's slaves truly tried to rape his wife, that slave wouldn't end up in prison. That slave would end up executed. Why wasn't Joseph executed? I think Potiphar knew. Well, let me close by sharing one more way that I think I've misunderstood Genesis 39, verse 11 and 12. One day he went into the house to attend his duties and none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by the cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and he ran out of the house. I read this and and I think, wow, that was a huge, dramatic, life-defining moment. Temptation, it works like that. In those moments of temptation, will I win or will I lose? Will I stand or will I fall? See, that scenario, it plays into my hero complex, but it doesn't really reflect this passage. Before that dramatic cloak-in-hand moment, the Bible clearly tells us this. Look at verse 10. And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. The temptation, it wasn't one big dramatic event. It was day after day. It was a daily, ongoing decision. It wasn't just one grand heroic moment. It was a daily way of living life. I I think it's easy to look for the dramatic and to miss the seemingly insignificant daily decisions that we make in life. I, I eat a bucket of french fries, but my heart doesn't stop. You know, I skip church, but my world doesn't fall apart. It's really easy to come to the conclusion that these small, bad decisions don't have much impact on my life. A little indiscretion here, a little compromise there. But one day we wake up and, and we can think, what happened? How did I get here? How did my life get so off? How did I mess up my life so much? Well, Genesis 39 shows us it's not just one failed dramatic moment. It doesn't happen all at once. How does it happen? One small decision at a time. The converse of that is also true. Verse 10 And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. And then though she spoke to Joseph day after day, day after day after day. You ever seen someone who's just crushing life? You know, someone who they're not all caught up in the anxiety and the emptiness, but you see them and recognize them. They are filled with with wisdom and with a deep peace. They know the Lord. You can just tell it. You ever wonder, how does that happen? How, how did they get that way? Well, not overnight. 
It wasn't one shining moment in time. You don't get there all at once. That's something that happens one small decision at a time. A moment of self-sacrifice, a consistent life habit done over and over and over and over. Consistent life habits. No one knows. No one sees how often you read the Bible and pray and connect with God. No one keeps track of how often you go to church. No one knows how many times you do the dishes. Nobody notices the grind and the perseverance and the daily discipline and the life rhythm. Following Jesus? It's not just one grand heroic altar call, cloak in hand moment. No, it's it's all of them added up. One small faithful decision after another, after another, after another. Day after day after day, year after year after year. Your small sacrifices Your daily decisions to follow Jesus aren't wasted. They add up. You know what you get when you add them all up? You. Who you are. Who you've become. Thanks for joining us today and listening to our weekly podcast. My name is Will Heron. I'm the Director of Discipleship here at The Ridge. If you would like to dig a little deeper into what we've been talking about today, uh, be sure to check out Beyond the Sermon. This is a weekly devotional that goes out after second service on Sunday. There you'll find the scripture that we've been looking at, some questions for you to, to dive into. But then there's also a discussion uh, that I have with whoever is teaching that Sunday, and we just dive deeper into different themes and topics from the sermon. If you've enjoyed our podcast, feel free to share it with your friends, and also jump on our website, ridgelife.org, to get more connected here at the Ridge.